0: It's been a good day today. Amen. Amen. I, I do want to, uh, to begin this morning by, uh, by thanking you, Broadway. Um, I, As I was listening to you all sing as I've been thinking about the last uh, few months as we've been talking about this project and thinking about the last couple of years as the elders have been thinking and praying about it, I just really remembered, uh, reminded of Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all all of you, I give thanks with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I just wanna thank you, Broadway, for the congregation that you are. You are a delight to lead. You are a delight to lead. Thank you for your prayers over the last couple of months. Thank you for uh, coming alongside and just patting me on on the back. Thank you for what you're doing or we're behind you. We're we're glad you're doing this. All of those kinds of things that a leader needs. Sometimes leaders don't uh, think we need it or sometimes you all don't think we need it, but we do need it. And You all have come alongside and encouraged me along the way. And so I just want to thank you for being the congregation that you are. I love you very much sermon for this morning is really to prepare us as a congregation for the coming months and all that this project is going to bring our way, and to really prepare us to receive what God has for us. So would you bow with me in prayer as we turn to God's Word? Father, we thank you for this season in our church's life. It is It is the next season of many that have gone before and that many are to come where you're going to call us to do good work for your sake. And so, Lord, we are uh, delighted today to be together and to take this, give this offering uh, to you today. And uh, Father, we know that all along the way, um, beginning today and moving in the next months and years ahead, that you have good things to do in us, that you want to make us more like your son. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that in every way. And I ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen. The Bible is filled with stories about God calling people to go, to go and to take on some task, to go and to to accomplish something for his glory, for his mission. Noah, build a boat. Abraham, go to a country that I will show you. Nehemiah, go rebuild the walls all around Jerusalem. Paul, go and preach the gospel to the nations. And in all of those stories, as we read them through the scriptures, God uses his people to accomplish some purpose, to bring glory to him, to carry out some specific role in the mission that he has for the world. He calls them and he uses them to do that. But what we see over and over again in those stories is that God in his mercy and in his kindness and his love towards his particular people, that God was not only concerned for that project or for that task, God was also concerned with the person carrying out the task. If we read those stories carefully, we see that in the process of these men and women saying yes to God, that God's people often learn something about God and his character when they say yes and when they go. They often grow up and mature themselves. They learn more about the world they live in and about the people that God has made. And they would not have learned those things had they stayed home. Had they not obeyed God's calling to go, they would not have learned those things. They would not have grown in that way. They would not have become the people that God had called them to be. But because they were obedient, because they followed God's command, not only did they have the great opportunity to see God do something great through them, to accomplish some task, but they also grew to know God and to love God more than they did before. They grew in confidence in their own gifts and in the faithfulness of God to work through them in in those gifts. They gained greater insight into the plans and purposes of God in the world. Right now, our church has been called to a task together. A Couple weeks ago, we talked about the calling that we have to be good stewards. We've been given the gift of this property and we've been given the gift of this particular place here in downtown Fort Wayne, here at this particular time in 2017. And in our, our church leadership has been unified as we've thought about the steps that we need to take to be better stewards of this building so that we can also be better stewards of this place and of the mission that God has given to us. And so this morning, after the sermon, we are going to take a First Fruits offering for that project, and this offering will be our seed money to get us moving on these things that we believe that God is calling us to do. But as I've mentioned over the last couple weeks, I'm excited to see the task finished, to see the project done, but as your pastor, I am even more concerned and more excited to see the way that he is going to grow up our congregation over the next months and years. I am more concerned with the kind of congregation that we are becoming than even what the end product, the end um, project will be. And already, over the last two years, uh, we've seen as elders, you all haven't got to see all of that, but we've seen as elders the unity and agreement that we've had as a leadership body, as we've sought the Lord and discerned together. But then we also saw how that unity overflowed into the house meetings that we had over the last couple of months, and the great excitement and unity that every single one of those meetings had, as everyone affirmed and confirmed, yes, this seems right to the Holy Spirit and to us that we should move forward with that. And so we, we as elders have had a great privilege of seeing how the unity of the Spirit that God created among our team, our leadership team, then overflowed into the life of you, into the life of the congregation. I know that many of you have been praying and seeking God's direction for the offering today as we've asked you to give a sacrificial gift. I've talked with many of you have really wrestled with this and about what it means to make this truly a sacrificial gift. God will use that prayer. God will use that time of seeking Him, that time of uh, fasting that you may have done in order to grow you up in Christ. Along the way, as this project continues, there's going to be opportunities for us to minister together and to work together and to pray together, and God will use all of those things to connect our family together and to connect our community to Christ. And so this morning, I want to take a brief look at three stories from scriptures about people who were called by God to a task. They were called by God to go and to accomplish something. And what we're going to pay attention to in these stories is the way that God used that task, the way that God used that mission, that project, to do a work in their own lives when they chose to say yes to God. Three stories. Story number one, the story of Moses. Story number two, the story of Jonah. And story number three is the sending of the 72 disciples in Luke chapter 10. I want to say to you that it's really appropriate today. I hadn't thought about this months ago or weeks ago when we planned this, but it's appropriate today that after this service, we're going to go downstairs and hear reports from the short-term mission trip to South Africa because we're going to hear this dynamic, I am sure, in the testimonies that we're going to hear today about how, yes, they were called to go. Yes, they accomplished these things, but you know what was going on? God was doing something in me as well. And so we're going to see how we even here at Broadway through this South Africa mission trip are a part of this story, a part of this dynamic that God does in us, that when we say yes to go, that he does a good work in us along the way. Moses. Moses was called by God to leave his life as a shepherd and to go into Egypt and to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And God appeared to Moses at the burning bush on that day as he was tending his, his sheep, and he, God gave Moses this task. And if you know that story, you know that Moses had plenty of excuses for why he wasn't the right person. God, you've picked the wrong shepherd. I'm not the one to go. And do you remember what his, his main excuse was? I can't speak very well. My mouth doesn't work right. My, my tongue just, it's slow. God, surely I'm not the person to stand before Pharaoh and to declare to let, God's, to let your people go. Surely I am not the one to stand before the Israelites and to say, come and follow me. My mouth doesn't work right, God. And throughout the, that conversation that Moses had with God there on that mountain, God reminds Moses that he is the I am. My name is. My character is I am. Moses, as you go, as you are obedient to me, I will be for you the I am. I will be for you everything that you need. Do you need strength? I am. Do you need the right words to say? I am. I will be for you everything that you need. And so Moses goes, and through that incredible story of the Exodus, of the ten plagues in Egypt, and the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, and the wandering through the desert for 40 years, Moses then finally leads them to the border of the Promised Land. And all along the way, Moses is challenged to grow as a leader, challenged to grow in his relationship with God, and all along the way, God shows himself to Moses to be the I Am. And at the end of Moses' life, Moses stands before Israel, and he sings them a song. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And this song at Deuteronomy 32 is a testimony of Moses' life and of the work that God had called him to do. What was it? What was Moses' excuse for not going? My mouth doesn't work right listen to the first four verses of this song it is not an accident deuteronomy 32 i'll read the the last verse of chapter 31 moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of israel listen O heavens and i will speak Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plains. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. God, I can't speak. My mouth doesn't work right. That's what he said at the very beginning when he was called. At the end, what does he say? Israel, stand up and listen to the words of my mouth. My mouth, which didn't work right at the beginning, is now the greatest instrument that I have to give God praise. Moses has been transformed by the mission. God proved himself over and over to be the I am. And at the end of his life, his greatest weakness was his greatest strength. When we come to know the character and the trustworthiness of God in our life, it transforms us. And that's what Moses learned. But we can only learn that through experience. When we say yes to God and go, If Moses had stayed out in the desert, tending his sheep, he never would have come to know those truths about who God is in his life. Moses would have remained a man who lacked confidence. He would have remained a man who lacked confidence in God, and certainly Moses would have never become that man who saw God face to face. Moses was transformed by his experience of being sent into Egypt and being obedient to God's call in his life. God was the I am in Moses' life, whether he ever recognized it or not. That is who God is. But it was in the coming, it was in the saying yes to God and going, that Moses came to know that God was the I am. And it's in that knowing of God for who he is that has the power to transform us and to draw us into a real and deep relationship with God. At the burning bush, God told Moses that I am the great I am, and it was as Moses joined with God in his mission that he discovered that that was true in his own life. That's Moses. Story number two, the story of Jonah. Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them that if they do not repent, I'm going to destroy their city. And you know what happens, right? <laughs> Jonah takes off in the opposite direction of Nineveh, and it's not because he was scared to go. As we see and we read the story of Jonah, we read that it wasn't because he was scared to go. It was because Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. And Jonah, he knew the character of God. He knew that God was a God of mercy and loving kindness. And so Jonah goes into the opposite direction of Nineveh and gets swallowed by a fish before he ever says yes because he hates the people of Nineveh. Moses needed to learn something about the character of God, but Jonah, he needed something else. Jonah's heart needed to learn about God's love for people and about how he needed to have the same heart for people that God had. Jonah is familiar with God's character. He knows the merciful character of God, and he was pleased to receive it for himself. He was pleased that the people of Israel, his people, got to receive God's mercy. But my enemies, rather than not receive God's mercy. So after running away and being swallowed by a fish, eventually Jonah does obey God. He goes into Nineveh and he preaches God's word to them. And the people of Nineveh repent and they turn to God. Jonah's mission was a success in every way possible. The whole city repents and fasts and mourns and seeks God. You'd think Jonah would be happy about that, right? If you know the story, you know that he is not Jonah's mission was a success in every worldly way. Mission accomplished. God said to Nina, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Say to them that in three days I'm going to destroy your city if you don't repent. And they did it. They turned around and they repented. But Jonah is angry because the heart for the, his heart for the people of Nineveh is not the same as God's heart for the people of Nineveh. So while Jonah is finished with his mission, God is not yet finished with Jonah. In his mission for Jonah. The book of Jonah has four chapters, and the first three chapters are dedicated to this sending of Jonah to Nineveh. And then the very last chapter, chapter four, is dedicated to God dealing with Jonah. Turn with me to Jonah chapter four. I'll begin reading at the end of chapter three. When God saw what they, that is the Ninevites, did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? And then verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. It's like he's still holding on to hope. (sighs) And as he's out there, it's the desert, and it's hot. And God sends this plant to come and to give Jonah some shade while he is there sulking. And Jonah sees this plant, and he loves it. It says, Jonah says, I love this plant, and he's glad for it. But then God sends a worm to destroy the plant the next day. And now Jonah doesn't have the plant anymore. He's now exposed in the heat again, and Jonah becomes angry again. And in Jonah's anger, God comes to Jonah, and he has this amazing conversation with him. Jonah, you love this plant because of what it did for you. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't make it grow. You didn't make it but you loved it because of what it did for you. And now the plant has died and you are so angry that you're ready to die. And so here's what God says to Jonah. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine that you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many cattle as well. So should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah, I love people more than I love plants. Jonah, you should love this city too. Jonah himself was transformed by the mission. The book ends with that question, should I not be concerned about that great city? And then it ends, we don't know, at least this Jonah, the The book itself doesn't tell us how Jonah responded, but I am quite confident that Jonah's heart was changed. The reason I'm confident about this is because Jonah is the only witness to this whole story. He's the only one that was in the belly of the whale. He was the only one that was sitting out there in the desert all by himself. Who else could have retold this story but Jonah? In this book, Jonah looks like a belligerent and disobedient child the whole way through. And the only kind of person who can be honest with themselves like Jonah was is a person who has experienced the grace and mercy of God. I am convinced that Jonah was transformed by this mission, by this moment where God reveals to him his great love, not only for Israel, but for the whole world. And so Jonah was transformed by the mission. Story number three, the 72 disciples in Luke chapter 10. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. In Luke 10, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry, and he's about to visit some towns. And so he, he calls all of his followers that are there together, and he sends them into the surrounding towns to prepare the way for him. And he takes 72 disciples, and he sends them out two by two, 36 different groups he sends off to go out ahead of him. And he sends them on this this short-term mission trip out into the towns all around. And he gives them some specific instructions and he sends them off and he tells them to heal the sick and to drive out demons and to proclaim the message that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, he says, you've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me cast out demons. You've heard me proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Now you go and do the same thing that I'm doing. And Jesus' disciples, they go into the surrounding town. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke doesn't tell us anything about their short-term mission trip. Doesn't say where they went, doesn't talk to us about anything that happened there specifically. But in Luke chapter 10, the disciples come back and they have a report. They didn't have a gym and a potluck, but they had a report about their short-term mission trip. This is what it says in verse 17, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. In other words, Jesus, our mission was a success. You sent us to go and do this, these things, and it was successful. Things went well. But then Jesus' response to the report is, I think, very, very strange. This is what Jesus says in verses 18 through 20. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let me paraphrase what Jesus says to his disciples. He says to them, if you continue to follow me, you will keep on seeing amazing things happen in my name. Satan, the evil one, will be overcome in my name. You will do great things through me. You will overcome evil in my name, but don't rejoice in that success. Rejoice that you have been saved. Jesus says, good job, but don't rejoice about your success that you experienced on your mission. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice simply because the spirits submit to you, but rejoice because God has invited you into a relationship with him. Your name is written in heaven. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is that the things that we accomplish for God cannot replace our relationship with God. The success that they had on their mission was one of the things that God was doing in their lives to reveal to them his great kindness to them and to draw them into a relationship with him. The mission, the work that we do for God is one of the things that God uses in our lives to bring us closer to him. Those are three stories, Moses and Jonah, and the sending of the 72. I had five others that I wanted to share, where we see in the scriptures the way that those who were sent to go are transformed by the mission. We do not know everything that is coming next here for Broadway and for this project. We don't know if it's gonna be finished in a matter of months or in a matter of years. But what I am sure of is that God has some good things for us if we are ready to receive them. If we are paying attention to God's work in our own lives through the whole process, this will be a season in our church's life where we look back and we say, wow, look what God did in us. And so I wanna say a few words today to prepare us for some of what is coming. First, I want to say this. It's going to be messy. And so we need to be patient. Like, literally messy. (laughs) We are tearing down walls. You're going to come to church one day, and that wall is going to be gone. We're going to go into the coffee bar someday, and it's just going to be a mess. We're going to do the best we can to make sure that it isn't that way. Please pray for Cindy, our Our janitor, uh, she is amazing and she wants to get all of the dirt and she's not going to be able to get all of the dirt. (laughs) Pray for her. Painting and rearranging Children's ministry leaders, we're going to be moving stuff around in your rooms. We're going to do the very best that we can to communicate those things to you and to, uh, to help you know what to expect. But sometimes there's going to be things that, along the way that we can't expect. It's going to be messy. Patience is one of the fruit, part of the fruit of the Spirit that God is seeking to cultivate in our lives, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. No doubt, patience is one part of the fruit of the Spirit that God will be cultivating in us, will be cultivating in me. It's going to be messy because there's going to be some things that take longer than we want them to. Or maybe it's going to cost a little bit more than we anticipated it costing. It's going to be messy, and we need to be patient. Second, there is going to be conflict so engage it well. Whenever we are working closely together to accomplish something, conflict is inevitable. I could have preached the sermon on that this week as we look about how people were called by God to go and do something, how conflict inevitably comes up. We see that throughout the book of Acts. Things are going really, really great. They're, having, they're breaking bread together. They're seeing so many people come and uh, accept Christ together. And then all of a sudden, there's a conflict. You know, the, the Jewish widows and the Gentile widows are going at one another because one's not being treated fairly. We see very quickly, a few chapters later in Acts chapter 10, that, that Paul and John, Mark, and Barnabas have this huge conflict. And they even break over it and go on different um, areas of mission. Moses and Aaron and Miriam, the disciples... Conflict is inevitable, and often it's not itself the problem. The problem comes in how we deal with that conflict. And all of us have our own dark ways that we deal with conflict. For me, it's to avoid it. So I avoid the conflict until it actually becomes a big problem, much bigger than it probably needed to be. Some people react to conflict in anger. Some people gossip about the people that they disagree with or the people that they don't like rather than addressing that conflict face-to-face. I suspect that you know the dark ways that you respond to conflict. Through all of this, there's going to be conflict, decisions that are made by your leadership that you don't agree with. There'll be disagreements about what should happen. In all of that, I encourage you to respond to that conflict well. Don't gossip about the problems that you see. If you have a disagreement with something or that's happening or a problem with something that's happening, come to your leadership and talk about it. The unity that I talked about earlier that God has created here in this church over the last couple of years, that will be destroyed faster than anything by gossip. So deal with the conflict well. Engage those that you disagree with or any conflict that comes up graciously and kindly. Speak the truth and speak it in love. Third. Growing pains are going to come So be ready for them Change is always hard Those of you who are sitting over here And have been sitting over here for a long time You're going to have to move Because those pews are coming up I I see the Vanderlees have already actually taken steps to move They're actually on the whole other side Of the building today They're they're ready to go What's that? Erased your name on the pew. Okay, so you've got it up there. But change is hard, okay? Uh, Not just little changes like that, but all changes are hard. Growth is hard, and it requires us to adjust. And God may call you to take steps of faith or to make sacrifices that you aren't ready for in all of this, whether that be financially or some other way. This project is going to require some people that are already in leadership positions to perhaps shift their time and their energy into other areas, which may require you to step in and to fill in the gaps. So be ready to be stretched. Be ready to grow. After this project is all finished, it is going to lead to growth in our church and other opportunities for ministry that we haven't even thought of yet. And some of you are going to be called to fill in and to use your gifts Because of that growth. Through all of this, there are going to be opportunities for us to say yes to God and his own call in our life. And it's going to be an opportunity for us to not just finish a task together, but to grow up in Christ together. And growing pains will be a part of that. So let's be ready for them. Some of you know that that Pastor Bob has has an email, a list that he sends uh, messages to every once in a while, once a week or so. And uh, that whole email list is called saying yes to God. And I think Pastor Bob taught this church that from the very beginning, about how we are called to listen to God's voice and to say yes to God. And his emails are a reminder to us that God has called each of us to join with God in his work in our world, and it's our responsibility to say yes to him. Now, I want to invite up uh, KJ Dunbacher and Stacy, if you would come on up. A few weeks ago, um, KJ came to tell me that she has an idea. Come on, right up here. That she has an idea, something that she thinks that God is. Calling her and the kids and all of us to participate in, and I want KJ to share it with us. So, KJ, would you please share us share with us about your idea? Yes. Um, hold, so hold that up so everyone can hear you.
1: <laughs> so, um, um, so I think that, yeah. you, that? you think you want to do a jump rope Yeah, I want to do a jump ropeathon for the um, kids. You know.
0: A jump rope Yeah. To help raise money? Yes. Awesome. Um, okay. Tell me what a jump rope-a-thon is. A jump
1: rope-a-thon is where, so people get pledges from other people, and then they go to this event, which would probably be, you know, in the gym, and they, like, do jump ropes, like, some of them can do tricks, some of them would just do it for fun, I guess.
0: All right. And so, do we, let me see your, your page here, I asked you some <laughs> questions, didn't I? So, why do you want to do this?
1: Well, first of all, I don't really think the kids get to do a lot of supporting the church financially and I want that to happen more. Awesome. Two is that I really don't, it makes me feel sad when like the elders have a really, really hard time coming up the stairs and I don't, I
0: want to help. Awesome. Awesome. So if anyone here wanted to help out with this project, how could they help KJ? Well,
1: the first thing is you could give pledges, like, you know, simple. The second thing is during the event, we're going to have to have some refreshments and some snacks. And we are looking for a company or a person to support the cost of jump ropes financially.
0: Awesome. I think. Okay. Yeah, that's right.
1: (laughs) That's pretty good.
0: Do we know yeah. when this is going to happen yet? Um
1: not yet. Okay, we July 22nd. July 22nd. Sorry, I forgot to tell you. It's July 22nd.
0: July 22nd? <laughs> So put it on your calendars, July 22nd, Saturday. Uh, Our kids here at at Broadway are going to be a part of this. They're going to be raising funds. In addition to raising funds from you, it's going to give them an opportunity to go to their friends and their neighbors and their family and tell the story about what's happening and to, to share, as KJ has, about, hey, we have this project. We're really sad to see our older people go up and down these stairs, and would you help us? And so, KJ, thank you for saying yes to God. Friends, everyone in our church is going to have an opportunity to jump in and participate. Sorry. I, I, actually, I actually wrote that in my notes, but I didn't get the joke until I saw it just now. In this whole project, all of us from, from zero to 100 are going to have a chance to participate. I've had two other people approach me and talk about ideas that they have for fundraiser that they want to lead and they want to initiate. Praise God for those, and we're going to say yes to those. So there are people who are already saying yes to God in one way or another in regard to this project. All of you who have prayerfully brought your offering today for this project, thank you for saying yes to God in that way and for bringing that sacrificial gift today. Thank you. If God has gifted you with the gift of prayer and a passion for prayer, please say yes to God and pray bold prayers for this project. Pray bold prayers for the ministries and the opportunities that will take place as a result of it when it's all finished. If God has called you to work with your hands and you have the gift and skills for that, please be ready to say yes to God when we have opportunities for church work days to come together. If God has blessed you financially, he has called you to live a life of generosity and giving, please be ready to say yes to God so that we can see this project accomplished financially. Throughout the coming months, we're going to have opportunities to serve others along the way. For example, when the workers are here working on the various projects, every Friday we want to host a lunch for them as a church family to say to them, we love you, thank you for being here, we want to bless you, and thank you for the work that you're doing for us, and we want to pray for you. So if you have the gift of hospitality, be ready to say yes to God when that opportunity comes up. Each of us has a role to play in this. When Moses called Israel to build the tabernacle, everyone came and they played their part. I want to say to you that that example in Exodus that we talked about last week was not only so that the job would get done, although certainly more hands make light work, but we know that through it all that God is going to be at work in us, making us more and more like Jesus. As your pastor, I am concerned and excited about the kind of congregation that we are becoming as we step out in faith in this way. So worship team, I'd like to ask for you to come on up. And as I mentioned before, we have uh, the envelopes. If you did not get a bulletin when you came in or don't have one of the envelopes, please raise your hand and Bill will do his best to, to pass those out for those of you who don't have it. In that envelope is a card that says, my prayer for this building project is, please write out whatever it is that your prayer is for this project. Put it in the envelope. If you have a check today, if you have a gift, go ahead and put that check in there as well. And as we sing the next couple of songs, i simply like for you to come forward and to place your offering um, here at the front. If you are in the balcony, there's going to be... Um, Ushers who are standing at those two doors, you can place your offering in there, and then those, um, those looks like two gentlemen, uh, will bring them down after all of those are in. As elders, this past Tuesday, we were talking about this offering and how do we go about doing it and again, so proud of our elders and their spiritual discernment and leadership and saying, you know, bringing this offering forward, it's not just about finances. We've been talking about that the whole time. And that was where this idea for this prayer guard came in. This, these prayers that you are offering here in this envelope and the prayers that you're going to pray are a huge part of this project. This isn't just an exercise. It's not just a fun thing to do. This is a part of this project. So today, I would encourage you, we're going to have a minute or two of just silence for you to write out those prayers and to put it into the envelope, and then as we begin singing, anyone who would, uh, whenever you're ready, please come forward and to bring your offering. God, we give you thanks for who you are and for calling us to, to small things from our perspective and to big things from our perspective. And we know that the small and the big, they're all the same to you. And Lord, that you are able to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. And so Lord, we pray that you would do your will today and in the coming weeks and months. And we look forward to what you're going to do in us as you make us more and more like Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.